Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of OTR Frankie. In today's interview, I chat with Stephen Wells, the mastermind behind Houston's bedroom pop band, Birthday Club. As with most of my episodes, we chat about how the pandemic has affected his band and how Stephen in particular had a very optimistic 2020 ahead of him before everything went to shit. However, despite all of this, Stephen has managed to keep himself busy doing daily live streams on Reddit and Instagram. This is actually how I found him. He just happened to be the top broadcast under our Reddit sessions. Within a week of me reaching out to him on Instagram, we had set up our meeting and it's just crazy how the world works these days. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with Birthday Club. Yeah, dude. So uh, tell me uh, my first question for like, since since all of this COVID stuff is, uh, what have you been up to during COVID? What are you doing to not go crazy? Well, I'm going to admit I did go crazy at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, and I guess we'll get to this stuff, but um, I was scheduled to play at South by Southwest. Yeah. For an official showcase, and then uh, I was going to go off on tour, promoting a new album. And, um, man, the first week or two were so rough, because, you know, all of that fell through all at one time. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do to stay sane, because all that energy was built up to go out and share these new songs, you know? So it took me quite some time before I realized, uh, wow, I should try live streaming. You know, I've always put it off and I had done a few live streams on my Instagram, you know, just to people that follow me. <clears throat> but Reddit has this new thing called RPAN, the Reddit Public Access Network. And I had looked on there a few times and I said, you know, why not? Why not try this? And it's been insane, man. I've, I've basically been treating streaming like being on tour. That's how I've adjusted my consciousness to stay sane. Like, right, yeah. I've been streaming almost every day, treating it like I would be you know, playing a show on tour. It's been awesome. It's been so good. That's great, man. Uh, so how often are you, uh, are you getting like going on live? It's about once a day. Sometimes I'm feeling crazy two times. But, um, you know, how many people you get in front of really is not up to you. You know, the algorithm is so bizarre. And right. A couple of days ago, I mean, I was one of the top posts on RP, and I got up to like 37,000. Yeah. It was that's ridiculous. Crazy, man. Congratulations. That's so cool. I don't, I don't know if I should say thank you because I feel like it just happens, you know? Yeah. I'm not really sure what, you know, makes it happen the time of day, but um, I've been treating that, you know, like I said, as if I was on tour playing a record store or, you know, doing a radio show, playing an actual show. Because right. when you get in front of that many people, it's sometimes better than an actual show. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, have you been uh, have you been like binge watching uh, Netflix, like doing the whole Tiger King thing that everyone's been up to and all that? No, like I so I had to make a promise to myself. I haven't had Netflix in over two years, probably. Holy crap. Okay. I watch other people's Netflix because it is such a time drain for me. Um, I don't have Hulu or Netflix. YouTube is like my enemy in life. Okay. I go okay. on YouTube holes and I get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've been reading a lot and. Um, yeah, it's been so hard to stay productive without right. feeling like you're burning out because, you know, the way you avoid burnout is having something fun to do for yourself. Definitely, yeah. Going on walks around the neighborhood is only fun so many times, you know? So, oh, for sure, man. Yeah. A little difficult, yeah. Right on, right on, man. So, um, cool. Well, let's get, let's get into it. Let's get into the music part. If, if you see me looking up, I'm just looking at another screen. I'm not, like, ignoring you. Um <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about uh, the Birthday Club. Well, first off, tell me uh, tell me where the name comes from. 
you know, like when I get asked this question, I always default to my cop out, which is like, it's not a good story. <laughs> I just like the name a lot. Okay. And it sounded like something that existed. You know, I was like, oh, it has to be a band. Right. Already. And I did find out like Nick Cave had a band called The Birthday Party. Okay. That's kind of a deeper cut. But yeah, I just really like how it sounds, to be honest. Cool. When, uh, when did you come up with the name? Like when, when, did, when was this all like conceived? Yeah, when, it, when did it start? It, it's probably about four years ago, I want to okay. say. And uh, when I started it, you know, I had been in an old band when I was living in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, when that band fell apart, I moved back to Houston, where I am now. And that and, band was uh, Featherface? Yeah, 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 that was my old band. It was called Featherface. And we did really well in Austin. And, you know, we played a lot of crazy shows, like the X Games, for some reason. <laughs> that was crazy. But when I moved back to Houston, I had all of these songs. And, um, yeah, I came up with the name Birthday Clubs and started playing with my friends. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just brought me to a lot of unexpected places. Yeah, it's been awesome. Right on. So is, is, the, is the Birthday Club, um, is it like you doing everything like uh, for the production of the albums and the music and stuff? So I do everything except for the drums. Okay. So I'm a, a mediocre drummer at best. Right. Um, so there's a lot of really amazing drummers here in Houston that I'm friends with. And, um, what I'll do is I'll go to my studio space and we're, I'm actually speaking from my home studio now where I write most of my stuff. Okay. And then when I go to actually work on drums and percussion, I have an actual, uh, like practice space, you know, studio space where I'll demo drums myself. Really. Okay. okay. <laughs> but right, I'll send right. that to my friends and I'll kind of produce the drums with them. You know? Okay. The stuff you hear on my albums is not me playing drums, but I'm playing pretty much everything else. Sick, man. And, uh, yeah, so it's like a very, uh, it's a very, um, oh my God, the name is escaping me, like a Kevin Parker approach pretty much, right? I could, I could say it's like that, yeah. What I come back to is like a Jeff Lynn and ELO, that kind of thing, where yeah. I, there is something about having the energy of other people giving input without yeah. having to have a producer. So... That's what I'm liking about having, you know, you're doing most of the work, but you're still bringing in either session musicians or people you can give some freedom, some wiggle room to bring new energy into it. I think that really makes a difference. Right, for sure, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, okay, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the, the album you just released in, in March, uh, Obscure Emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I said, after I uh, I saw you streaming on Reddit, I was just like, I gotta see what, what this guy's stuff is like, and uh, yeah, man, I've been listening to the album a lot since then, it's, it's fucking awesome, I, I really love it, it's uh, really cool. Um, what, uh, so yeah, the reason I bring up Kevin Parker, and I think this was brought up in the uh, live stream too, is like, you definitely have some Tame Impala vibes going. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's super awesome, but it's definitely got your own twist on it. And it's, it's definitely your sound. It's not like you're just like totally stealing, stealing that, but it's, I think it's just that like cool psych rock, like super chill. If you had to like put yourself in a genre, what, uh, what genre would you say you sit in right now? Yeah, that's such a tough question too. Cause, um, you know, to sit on the Kevin Parker thing for a second, mm-hmm. the reason I always think of ELO is because. There, there's movements in music and you'll have, you know, 50 bands at the top of a wave that kind of set a sound. Right. And Tame Impala is so everywhere right now. It's, I mean, it's amazing music and it's a very specific sound. Right. And 
I do get that comparison a lot, and I know a lot of bands do, but um, I kind of think of it as the rhythmic foundations of songs that are pop songs tend to gravitate towards being called like Tame Impala now, because he's yeah. essentially making kind of dance music that's really good psych dance now, you know, and uh, I don't know, the, I've been called like bedroom pop, but even yeah. that I don't really identify with, so I'm kind of finding my way, like how, where do I fit in in that way? Right, right, okay. Yeah, totally. I, I I can see that for sure, man. Um, yeah, the uh, well, like I wanted to chat a bit a bit more about like before uh, before the album came to be, and when I was like just reading up on uh, a couple of those articles you sent me. Uh, so tell me about the uh, NPR's Arts and Letters Radio, like their podcast. How how did like how did they find you, and then uh, they ended up commissioning you? I don't I don't want to like tell your story. So just tell me what happened there. Yeah. Um, so I was on tour promoting my first EP and I think we were going through Little Rock, Arkansas and it was Halloween night at this place called like Sticky Fingers Rock and Roll Chicken Shack or something. It's <laughs> okay. It was bizarre. It was ridiculous. And there were not a ton of people that came out. You would think like Halloween, you know, but it was kind of a bunk night. And there was this guy there who came up to me after we played and he said, man, I'm such a big fan of your music. And I'd love, like, I work for NPR, and I, when I hear someone say something like that, I always brush it off. Like, right. okay, cool, yeah. man. Like, we'll talk. who knows how many beers, you know. Um, but sure enough, like, a week went by, and I got an email from uh, Brad Minnick, is his name. He's got an NPR program, and he asked me to do a, a scoring commission for him mm-hmm. at his birthday club. And the first podcast we did for them, or I did for them, was... Um, about the history of feminism in Mexico. So Interesting. It, was, it was really cool. So what I ended up doing was, you know, I live in Houston. There's a huge Hispanic community here and a Mexican-American community. And I asked my friend who's a Mexican-American to come and sing acapella Mexican folk songs that she grew up singing. Okay. And then I wrote birthday club songs around her vocals. So, okay, um, cool. Yeah, it, it turned out really cool. And they asked me to do another one. And, by the end of it, I had all of these, you know, demos and ideas, and that was kind of like the core sound of the album that I ended up hashing out and making into a proper record, you know, because okay. before that, it was just kind of ideas for this production, and it was a really good excuse to, you know, get paid and write a lot of music, so Definitely, it was awesome. Man. Definitely, was that, that's so wild that, like, yeah. some guy saw you at, like, some small, small bar and... Arkansas of all places and yeah, that's that, how long between that that like conversation with that guy to uh, to that email how long was that was that gap was it like pretty immediate and you're like holy shit that guy was was for real or I want to say it was about a week so yeah? I had honestly okay. kind of forgotten about it at that point just because like <laughs> such a defense mechanism I think people use like don't get your hopes up right but um, for sure yeah, sure enough, he did reach out, and it ended up working out so so well. And it's such a cliche that like, it's it's the show where you think nothing's going to happen, that something really does seem to happen. Definitely, which is why like a lot of people like, I don't know, I, you always have to like treat every every show like it is super important, right? As a, as a musician, you just gotta like give it your all all the time and like just take any uh, any opportunity that comes. So that's. Uh, that's crazy, man. And then, like, how how different is uh, were the things that you were commissioned for uh, compared to what came on the album? I mean, one like the the title track for the album is called "Obscure Emotion," and mm-hmm. 
that song was actually directly pulled from the podcast. So these like synths and stuff were actually, I think in the podcast and um, just as like a musical background, you know? And I made sure everything was clear with them. Right. But um, yeah, I just directly pulled a lot of these things, um, bits and pieces too, into full songs. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it was just a really great motivation to sit down and kind of come up with a, like conceptual aesthetic. Cause it's not, a, I don't think it's a concept album other than, you know, what, what the lyrics are about. Right. But right. Um, the sound, I definitely noticed there was something cohesive through all of those. Right. Right. Songs, so. Yeah. So something else I read just talking about the sound is uh, you found inspiration through doing uh, field recording sessions around the city. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so I, I bought a pair of binaural microphones Yeah. That, you know about those. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I bought it's called Hook Audio. Shout out to them. But uh, you wear them in your, you know, your ears like uh, normal headphones, and it records sounds. And um, yeah, I just went around the city and started recording stuff. And re- really, what that stuff did to me was I was trying to capture where I was at in my life right now, and I I wanted to kind of emulate those sounds I was capturing. So. All over the album, there's nature sounds from when I actually recorded that were field recordings. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of instruments that are trying to sound like other things. So there's a lot of guitars that are trying to sound like birds and just things like that. Yeah, very cool, man. Mm-hmm. That's such a weird, uh, like, well, not weird. That's just such an interesting way to like. Uh, there's one guy here in Toronto that I know that did a very similar, uh, similar thing for his uh, thesis. Like, I went to school with him. Uh, he was a couple years behind me and, uh, I went to film school and, uh, you know, at the end of the year, like that's what you do to present your thesis, you present your final project. And this guy takes a very similar approach in that he just went like up North and in Canada in the middle of the winter and just recorded like the cracks of the lake as like the, the ice is breaking and like stuff like that. And then just like created this really weird experimental album that, I think like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people didn't get, but like, I, I just sat there and I was just amazed by all this sound. So I, I totally, I totally get what you're, what you're, where you're yeah. coming from with that. That's a very cool approach. Yeah. I've always, I've always been really interested in sound design and production. So like a big influence for me were a lot of these Bjork records. Yeah. People where like they wanted to create, for instance, like a crystalline sound. So they'd go out into nature and try to like recreate ice cracking, like you're saying, like different sounds that are organic but then turn them into something kind of inorganic like the opposite of what people would normally do so there's even um one song on the album's called out of nowhere and it's uh, like an acoustic song type thing Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of the song there's a bunch of birds like talking to each other and what that was um this lake house where i recorded overlooked this giant beautiful lake in texas called canyon lake and we pointed two microphones out towards the lake and there were a few trees, you know, out there. And I recorded, you know, all at one time. So there's mm-hmm. two mics facing out into nature and, and then the one on the guitar I was using. And right as we started recording, these two birds landed and started having this conversation left and right. Oh, you know, it was very cosmic, if you want to use that word. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cool, man. So. The, the bird sounds ended up being kind of like a motif that I was emulating throughout all of the songs. So, yeah. That's cool. That's that very way. cool. Um, tell me about, like, I've never been to Texas. I've only been, I think I've only been to, like, uh, I've only been to L.A. and I've only been to New York. So 
Texas is definitely on my on my list. But how does being being from Texas like? I'm sure it it inspires you in a, in a in a way that like you know not being like from Canada, your sound it inspires your sound differently. How do you think growing up in Texas did that? Man, that's tough because um, there, there's. I don't want to get into the misconceptions of being from Texas, right? But just growing up here, I was exposed to, I think, what everyone was exposed to. Um, there, there wasn't really, like, a huge music scene that was important to me when I was growing up. I just had old records my parents had or, you know, the radio, right? But as I started going out into the music scene, there, I mean, there was definitely a pretty vibrant scene at that time. And I've been through kind of two phases where it ebbs and flows. Like, it'll really be popping off and then you'll have two or three years of nothing or chaos. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's shaped my, my sound in many ways, but I think the biggest one was being able to watch touring bands come through. Cause, um, I grew up in a really small town called Friendswood, Texas. Okay. And, uh, I mean, there were like horses everywhere and cows and like it's a very small town. Just so, really what I imagine when I think Texas, I think. <laughs> yeah, and that's accurate for a lot of, you know, smaller towns. But, I mean, Houston's the fourth largest city in the country. Yeah. Austin's pretty big, too, in its own way. But, um, yeah, I, I do get a lot of inspiration here. Specific, and I can talk about that a long time, about, like, you know, why Houston is awesome in its own ways. But, um, yeah, just the bands that would tour through were just awesome to have that privilege, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Sorry, I just lost my spot here. Let me see. Um, so how how long uh, how long had you been working on the album? Oh man, um, I had been working on it for I think like over a year, probably. Because yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm sure albums can take a long time to really definitely not only record but write and produce. Yeah. And this was my first time um, engineering everything myself too. So. I like tracked everything. I, I was the recording engineer on the album and that was kind of a blessing and a curse because like editing drums takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, I spent probably weeks just getting the drums how I wanted them to be. And, um, so I want to say it was probably over a year I worked on the album, you know, uh, and then from having a finished album to it coming out was probably another six months. Mm -hmm. You know, it just takes, it takes a while to do that and get vinyl pressed and everything. Yeah, for sure. Was this your first time uh, pressing your own vinyl? Like something you made? For birthday club it was. Yeah, my old yeah. band done some vinyl stuff. But um, How did that feel? Yeah, I mean, it's great, man. I, it's kind of just a goal. I've, yeah. you know, I've had to get that out of the way. Like, write and record this album, get it pressed, move on to the next thing, you know? So I'm very glad. Like, I've got one of them down here. I was going to show. I don't know if you've got one, but um, it's really cool to hold your music in your hand and like it kind of it kind of kept me going visualizing like okay this feels horrible right now <laughs> like right. i'm grinding so hard editing this music that like i'm just i'm imagining i'm holding this finished product and Absolutely. to actually have it there is such a good feeling yeah. are you uh, are you a vinyl head like do you do you have a pretty decent collection i got an okay so i don't think i'm a vinyl head i know some people that are right that's a growing scene in houston for sure but um yeah, I, there's something about having like the physical quality of it that really makes a big difference. I Definitely. think. Um, yeah, because sometimes you know vinyl ends up on a wall, right? Like it's yeah. it's a experience. It's not just the music. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I totally get that. Uh, since I don't know, I've been collecting records now for probably five years, and 
I feel like it's it's really for me it's the only way f for me to like just sit down and just give an album the respect it deserves because mm. I can't just hit skip and I can't just like I don't know and it's, it's it, like you said it's an experience you have to sit down you put out you just look at the album art because I, I always just like put my album like on top of the record player and I just like look at it and listen um, I will be buying buying yours by the way I just need to you just need to tell me where I can get it um, but yeah like I uh, I totally get that and like definitely having that tangible thing to hold on to is just yeah that's that's got to be just such a cool feeling to like make it yourself I, I totally I think that's awesome did you uh, like and is this whole this whole thing has it been like DIY like you're not on a label or anything or do you have a dis distri distributor or anything like that or yeah, well, I've got a, a distributor I work with um, called AWOL, and it's called Artists Without a Label. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, they've been awesome to me. Um, and I, I really like the work they've done. So, but, you know, I've thought about the label thing, and I did shop the album to a lot of record labels that I really look up to. And I, I think I got one response back, you know, mm -hmm. that's just how it goes. So, um, I've kind of come to the point where I'm going to keep building my fan base and just putting out good music. And I know that good things will come as I do that. Cause I think for the longest time I chased after that thing. Right. And I think that was kind of a trap of feeling like you need to wait until you have some, um, success mark in your head until you start writing and releasing music. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I think I've kind of grown out of that thing for you. Cool. Uh, what, uh, what were some of the labels that you like look up to that you were like, hoping to hoping to get signed to yeah well a few of my favorite ones like windspear do you know about windspear no. yeah yeah they're an up-and-coming they're smaller label and i think they're on a secretly distribution but they're, they're like my favorite label right now i think um, barry this band is on there they got a lot of really good bands um mexican summer is another one i really really like and matador um merge so a lot, there are a lot of bigger ones in there too but when you're throwing your music into like the <laughs> the machine of demo reviewing, it's you don't know what you're gonna get, you know. Definitely. So um, I I went forward and found like a, a really good distributor that I really liked and just put it out there. Cool, yeah. man. That's great. That's great. And you know what, man? Like more often than not, that's actually I think that's kind of like where things are going now. Labels are kind of slowly becoming. At least I, I've noticed it here in in, uh, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, just like what where the big labels are like kind of not really relevant anymore and it's it's people are just like putting out their own stuff now i think yeah. i think it's like one of the cool things about being about having spotify too right like that's just like kind of how you can or just having these streaming services like that's where you can make make a name for yourself and then like like you're doing just like you know press something and then put it out yourself it's uh that whole diy thing is coming back in a big way i think yeah and i think that's why i was drawn to awol this company i'm working with because they're, they're owned by cobalt which is a huge company like really influential company in music mm -hmm. business and the way that awol is structured is there's an a and r team you know that searches out people or they also like accept submissions right now and once you get in you're basically entered into a normal distribution deal like you would have with any other distributor but there's a tiered system where if your album starts getting traction, there's a new tier, you're opening up to royalty advances and all kinds of stuff. So right. it's it's a new model for a record label that I really respect. And I think a lot of things like, I almost signed with one called um, Level. They're up in New York and they're with Warner, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, I have my own reasons for not doing that. But there's a lot of labels that are starting imprints to kind of experiment with that model. Okay. Data-driven labels, basically. 
Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the main single. It's not enough. Um, I uh, I was like just looking through the the lyrics of the of the song, and it really it reads like a poem. Do you uh, do you like do you write your lyrics before the music or after the music? No, it, nine times out of ten, what happens is I'll write music first, and I'll have mm -hmm. a song. And um, have you ever read the book How Music Works by David Byrne? It's no, it's on my list though. It's, it's great. on my list. And I, I didn't realize this is what I did until I read it in his book. But the way the way he writes lyrics is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. So he'll have a demo for a song and he'll just start spewing words out and melodies. And that's how I've always written songs is I'll just say some ridiculous stuff until the song kind of reveals itself. So okay. I really do feel like the song exists. This is kind of my own spiritual opinion. Like the yeah, song sure. already exists and you're kind of like clarifying it. You're revealing it as you go. You're drilling down into it. So yeah, it's like working backwards from it, if that makes sense. Right, yeah, I like that a lot, actually. Um, okay, so that being said, tell me what the song's about. You know, I kind of struggled with this, too, because some musicians I look up to don't talk about, you know, what it, it's about, because mm -hmm. it, it really does, I feel, color people's own interpretation of it. But for me, what I will say is, like, I was in a really, really dark headspace after getting out of a relationship when I wrote it which is funny because most of the feedback I've gotten is like, this is such a fun song. <laughs> right, yeah. It's <laughs> such a, a cool, happy song, and I was just blown away by that because when I was writing it, it felt like a very intense thing, you know? So I'm glad yeah. to hear what came out was not that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I, I had that vibe too where I was, I was listening, mm -hmm. to the, uh, listening to the song, and then when I like went and looked at the music video and you have all the lyrics there, I was just like, Oh, this is kind of dark. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Um, well, I, I also wanted to like well, let's talk about the music video because uh, it's it's really cool, man. I, I really like that you decided to go Super Eight, and um, it totally fits the vibe of it. I it reminded me a lot of like Easy Rider, mm. and um, I don't know, just like hippies doing peyote in the desert like i don't know it just i really really liked what what uh, what you had going on tell me about like uh you know the team that you worked with making it and uh how the whole idea what the idea was coming in if it changed after the fact like mm -hmm. yeah so when i had when i had the album and i knew that was going to be the lead single i i had images in my head you know of like what what i was associating with the song and one of one of my now friends is Vanessa Plot, who was the director, the filmmaker, mm -hmm. and she only shoots on Super 8. That's that's her primary medium. Cool. And, uh, she's a protege of Richard Linklater up in Austin, who's done like Slacker, like a bunch of really good movies, yep. Scanner Darkly. Um, so yeah, I shot the song over to her and like gave the ideas that I had, and also drops like Marfa, Marfa Texas in there because that's I don't know. Do you know much about that place? No. Marfa? So um, I'll get to that, I guess. Okay, cool. Yeah, we started going back and forth, and she really liked it, and we immediately hit it off with coming up with all of these ideas. And I was kind of afraid to really go out to West Texas where Marfa is because it, it was a huge endeavor to get out there. It was like a 12-hour drive. Oh, damn, um, okay. <laughs> it was a long drive, yeah. But Vanessa killed it. I mean, she came up with all the costumes, I, I had found the blue jacket I'm wearing on Etsy like six months before. <laughs> so, oh, wicked. 
Yeah, it's in my closet right now. And there's actually a black version of it too, which didn't make an appearance. But like I had this whole world in my head and she really helped to refine it, make it uh, make sense of it, like some kind of narrative. Cause you know, I, I could explain the whole thought behind it, but um, the way it turned out, uh, we, we went out to Marfa, Texas, which is this really small town in West Texas. And it's famous for this guy, uh, Donald Judd, who was a artist up in New York. And he, he bought a uh, Air Force base out there and created all of these site-specific installations. So um, the theory is that the elevation of Marfa and the lack of pollution creates this really intense sunlight that really feels other otherworldly. Like there's something about the light there that's really special. So the whole concept of the music video I had was doing a lot of work with shadows. Okay. So... Um, implying that like these shadows are thoughts, you know, like there's a lot of associated cool. imagery in it. So we went out to Marfa and it's, it's just such a crisp light. I don't know how else to put it. It's really intense. And the contrast of the crispness with the grainy of the super eight just really creates this weird contrast. I think yeah. feels yeah, like a dream or something. Yeah. So. That's wicked, man. That's very cool. How did you, uh, how did you get hooked up with, uh, with the director? Yeah, well, I had seen her do a lot of work for, like, there's a band called Fan Club, Rest in Peace, which is no more, but she had done a music video for them on Super 8 and uh, a few other bands down in Texas. And I just, I love Super 8 so much. I love the way that it looks. And mm -hmm. there's a band called More More, who I think is actually from Canada, um, that put out this video for a song. that I, it, it was in Super 8, I believe, and I was just obsessed with it. Like, it's the coolest vibe and um i knew i wanted to work on that medium so vanessa's always been into really uh experimental like 60s and 70s films like i can't remember the director she she used in this production so like kind of compared to but um yeah she's into a lot of vintage like mysticism type stuff and we really connect on that so cool really cool yeah. um yeah where 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 do you, you seem to have like a very like cosmic cosmic vibe to you like where, where does that come from <laughs> i think i'm still figuring that out um yeah. i mean i'm a recovering catholic so like growing <laughs> up growing up in like a very strict catholic household there's a lot of attention to ritual and darkness like demonology and, and my mom was always leaning that way um she, she used to play coast for coast am have you ever heard of that before no yeah i guess it's a u.s thing but there was an AM late night radio show called Coast to Coast, and it was all paranormal, aliens, mysticism. And I grew up with such a fascination with that stuff, and okay. it definitely like blossomed into my life. Like, I have my own kind of relationship with that stuff. But um, yeah, the work of like Carl Jung, I'm a huge fan of, and really just the mind is so interesting to me. And I love like a big part of the album was really focusing around thoughts, you know, and how thoughts come to be. So that's a big part of it. Um, the title of the album is actually from a verse of the I Ching, which if, if anyone knows what that is, it's a really, really old divination book from uh, like the Taoist. But there's these things called hexagrams in the book and you shake up these coins and you, you add up the coins in a certain way and you get an image. So if you, if you look at the flag of South Korea, you'll notice I Ching hexagrams around the, the center of the flag and the, the hexagram for enthusiasm says this and uh i found out about this from 
Tim, my friend Tim, who's actually in the music video, he's the old man that gets covered in paint. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about the people in the video next, so cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we should go to that. Um, but Tim's mom used to tell him this quote from the I Ching, which is that music is the tool by which the grip of obscure emotion is loosened from the heart. And I just really connected with that. So that's where the title of the album comes from. And I, I don't really talk about that because like, I want people to have their own interpretation of it. Because, sure. you, you know, when I think about it, like when I read Obscure Emotion, I think like you, you can be telling someone to obscure emotion, like an imperative, or it can be just the name itself. So I'm really into associative thinking in that way, like reading things in different ways. You know, For sure. Cool, man. Okay, well, yeah. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the actors in, in here. So uh, I do have here. I'll just give them shout outs. So it's Liliana Salas. Yep. Teal. Oh my God, I should have. Tilan Larson and Timothy Freeman. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So tell me about uh, tell me about the tell me about everyone. So um, the sun and the moon the actresses who played them, like I had never met them before. Vanessa had, had been friends with them and we were looking for models that fit this cer certain vibe. And uh, so I just trusted Vanessa to cast them correctly. And they were so awesome. We're friends. I was actually on um, Liana's uh, podcast a couple nights ago, but uh, the old man, Tim is a friend of mine from Houston. He was kind of locally famous. People call him the popcorn man. And, okay. uh, <laughs> Tim goes out to shows a lot with this bag of popcorn. Uh, he calls the people's corn and people just eat from it as they go by him. Oh my um, God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He calls himself a spiritual mechanic. He's just, he's one of the most cosmic people I've ever met and a good friend. But, um, yeah, we, we all really got along during filming and I rented us a Airbnb kind of hostile situation and we'd cook dinner together every night and talk about life and, we really bonded. We, we shot that video in about a day and a half. You know, it was very fast. And um, we were in Marfa for, I think, about two or three days. So um, it, the whole thing was just such a mystical experience, how well everything went. And right. the funny thing that happened was Vanessa had brought two cameras out there, a really nice Super 8 camera and then a not-so-nice Super 8 camera just to have that beat footage. And uh, the really nice one broke, like, no. halfway through the first you know day of filming and so it actually worked out great because i think it looks better you know the, the grittier stuff for sure yeah yeah and marfa is just such a magical place man there's there's a thing out there called the marfa lights which is um the native americans first discovered them but it's these really mysterious lights that appear in the desert and they change colors and float there and the state oh. of Texas has built like an observation platform where you can go there at night and see them, you know? Okay. Uh, we went yeah, out I there. I gotta go check this place out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, there's a lot to say about Marfa. Controversial too. It's an interesting place. Yeah, it's a magical town for sure. But it's yeah. definitely kind of losing its um, secretive nature. There's a lot of people going out there. Right. It's like becoming too popular almost uh, or something like that. Well, I mean, I don't want to get lost in the weeds on the talk of gentrification because yeah. the, the wealth inequality in Marfa is so extreme where it's a small farming town in the middle of nowhere, literally. Mm -hmm. And um, when I, when I go there, I see Mercedes. I mean, the real estate is ridiculous there now. It's, it's absurd because it's, it's become really popular for this Prada 
installations. So if you go do like Marfa Prada, it's mm-hmm. very popular to take Instagram photos. Like Beyonce went there to take Instagram photos. It's, okay. It's a weird spot. <laughs> Anyways, but a magical place still. I really believe that. So. Cool, man. Um, let's see where we're at here. Okay, so some uh, a quote that I read, I think this goes back to... Uh, Oh God, this goes back to 2016 when you guys put out, uh, having too much fun. Mm. And, uh, you were just talking about that song in particular. And I just thought this quote was funny. And I just wanted to know if there's a story behind this and it's about a cat knocking over a glass of Hawaiian punch and that pouring all over a laptop. Did this actually happen to you? But no, well, that's not really a true story. It was kind of a metaphor for a relationship I had with a friend that like, th- that song to me is about people you really love and care about, but then you just, can I cuss on this show? Is that acceptable? Oh, absolutely, man, yeah. Yeah, it's about people you love and care about, but then you just stay the fuck away from you. You know, it's, right. like, it's, about, it's like a cat that is out to fuck your shit up and they don't even realize it, so. Gotcha. Okay, like like a bull in a china shop kind of kind of deal. Yeah, but like a bull that you love and care about, and yeah. you just happen to live near the china shop. It's it's their <laughs> china shop, and they're messing it up. But um, yeah, I was really angry at that time. <laughs> I wrote that, and again, music is how I've gotten out so many of these negative emotions. And that's you know what I don't want to do with my music is create uh, negative feelings in other people. You know, I want them to right. come across cathartic in that way. So. It always makes me happy when I hear people say like, oh, this has been helping me through this time or something like gotcha, that. Gotcha, yeah. Makes me feel a little better. <laughs> cool, cool. Sweet. All right. Yeah, I, I just thought that was such an interesting thing. It sounded very specific. So that's why I was like, this either happened or, yeah, it's like a metaphor for something. So. Yeah, good catch. It's true. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about South By. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know, like, COVID's, COVID's fucked things up for everyone. So... Uh, you're not alone there, but um, I know you guys are like really gearing up to to do a cool thing. Oh, actually, also what I want to let's talk about uh, who performs with you when you're playing live. Yeah, so that's kind of always changed. I'll, I'll talk about that first, I guess. Um, when I first started the band, I didn't have a super clear picture of what I wanted to do with Birthday Club as a project. I knew that I wanted to write everything and do that, but it, it did become more of a band situation, which I. I realized I really didn't like, so I kind of had to unwind a lot of that. And the place I'm at now is kind of where I've wanted to be, um, which is I hire on my friends to just come on tour with me and play, and it's been awesome. Cool. Um, so usually I've got kind of a core group of people, but that's I think going to change on this next this next album uh, when and if I can tour again. <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, who I use right now is this guy Tank Lasimbi, who uh, plays with Robert Ellis and. It's kind of a crew of people. Um, Nathan Dietrich has a band called Good Girl. That's really, really good. And Marshall Graves is my bass player. And also my friend Matt Kidd, who goes by Slow Meadow. And he's, I mean, he's, they're all people I really look up to. I think I know Slow Meadow. Yeah, he just did like a live stream on Blog Attack. Like he's really okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah, I totally know him. Yeah, but, um, I feel very fortunate to be able to play with those guys. And yeah, so we had all been working on this live set for South by Southwest, like a five-piece band. It was going to be a big, big thing. And uh, I was just so excited, man. And like, tour was was actually proving very challenging to book, coincidentally, before COVID. So the way things work out are actually for the best sometimes. <laughs> so um, part of me is grateful everything worked out how it did. But 
yeah, I mean, we can talk about South by Southwest a lot. Um, that, that really felt like a lot of momentum was building. I've been really pushing to get a lot of people out there to this official showcase we were going to be playing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really felt like it was going to be a moment for the project, you know, like something was going to happen. I don't know what it was, but it had that feeling, you know, and uh, when I found out it got canceled, man, I was honestly pretty devastated at the time because that feeling, you know, how do you get back to that? You know, right. I felt very defeated, yeah. but um, I'm feeling very optimistic now, honestly, after the fact, like it's been something I'm really grateful for has been able to just sit and not have FOMO about touring or anything. Like everyone's kind of just in a very meditative place. Like what is the next step for this? But yeah, we can, we can talk about South by a lot if you'd like. Yeah, man. I like, I don't know. One day I will go. <laughs> we have something, we have something in Toronto called North by Northeast, which is yeah. like, uh, or North by Northwest. I don't. I forget which one. It, uh, I always get confused between the movie title and what we call it. But um, and it's like a mu- obviously a much smaller, less cool uh, thing. A buddy of mine went to South by and was just like, he wants to go back every year now. And he's like, oh my god, man. I, I was just like, I, I really want to go. So tell me everything about South by. Man, it's it's a really strange experience. I've probably been seven times, and I've I've done official showcases. Birthday Club actually did an official showcase several years ago, and so this would have been the second one for the band. But it it is such a bizarre commentary on American capitalism right now because the the peak of South by Southwest ridiculousness for me was I think 2012, where Doritos, the chip company, was like one of the top sponsors. And what they had done is created the Doritos Locos stage, which was a 100 foot tall vending machine that had giant bags of Doritos in it. And then at the bottom of the vending machine where you'd like stick your hand, you know, to right. grab the, the chips was the stage where the bands played. Oh, so that was like the perfect metaphor for <laughs> Southwest, Southwest. But it's, it's just a huge party, man. Like even the showcases are really bizarre because you know, bands will come from literally all over the world, you know, like Iceland, Japan, Korea, all over the place to play for maybe 20 people who may or may not, you know, be able to help. So it being from Texas and having even, like I lived in Austin for three years, it's interesting being really close to something like that and seeing what it is compared to the um, fame, I guess the festival has, because it really is a special thing um, and I know a lot of people feel like, you know, the magic has died long, long ago, but I do think there's a lot of value in South by Southwest still. Yeah. So you're still going to be going for years to come? I feel like I'm definitely probably still going to go. I'm not going to be paying as much attention as I used to when I was like 22, you know, right. cause of that feeling of like, oh, I got to go. I got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've just, I've experienced a lot of it. Um, and I mean, those are pretty amazing experiences, but I've just been looking forward to bigger things i think you know like bigger festivals and stuff like that so cool what would be uh what would be like your dream festival to play at oh man well like austin city limits is a huge one here in texas that's that's a big goal of mine um glastonbury would be amazing also um also like venues there's there's a couple of venues i would really like to play but um because of my own um superstition i don't want to talk about that <laughs> that is cool yeah we won't touch it then we won't touch but yeah it. no there's there's several festivals i would like to play it's just um 
several touring agencies and management companies kind of control who plays these festivals. So I'm still meeting a lot of people. I've got a lot of, a lot of work potentially to do. So. Right. Um, and, but you guys have in the past, like done national tours before. Yeah. So you, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. what is, tell me, tell me like some of your favorite like stops on, on, on your tour in, in the past. Man. Um, strangely enough, Mobile, Alabama is really absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, there's a place down there called the Mary widow and it's in the middle of downtown and above it is a luxury airbnb that they let bands stay in so okay. yeah birthday club developed a really cool little fan base there every time we go through it's just an amazing time amazing shows and then you get to sleep in this luxury <laughs> hotel oh, <laughs> every night have a shower oh man it was great um <laughs> charleston south carolina is amazing too um that's one of the the best like diy shows i think this project played was like it was like a sold out uh big house show uh, where people are like crowd surfing in a giant living room, things like that. Oh, cool, man! I I love Nashville and New York too. Going up there a lot. Um, those are great places to tour through. But really, like all around Nashville is this beautiful country where there's just huge hills. Like the Blue Ridge Mountains are all down there. And uh, America is is just so big. Um, yeah. And it's it's so cool to be able to drive around and actually see it. You know. I still haven't toured out to the West Coast. That's my next goal. But I've done Northeast runs probably five or six times. You know? mm-hmm. It's amazing. And Canada would be awesome to come. come hey, through. dude, you should come. I can definitely, uh, I can definitely help out getting you guys in, in places in Toronto anyway. So well, <laughs> let's make that happen. That'd be sweet. <laughs> A couple of years from now, I guess. I don't know. Whenever it's allowed. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool, man. Do you have like, uh, do you have like a, a crazy like tour memory, like anything that happened on tour? That's just like this is ridiculous. I'm sure it happens all the time, but it, I'm kind of overwhelmed with them. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a lot of them. Um, I mean, what's coming to mind right now is uh, we played a show down in Laredo, Texas, on the border, and this guy was um, trying to like break into the bands, the band bands. He kept looking in the windows and like. We were treating with Ban Ban as like the green room at the time, so we were all in there. And, um, yeah, we almost got in a fight with this guy who was on a lot of drugs. It was very intense. So there's, you know, the tour is glorious. It's really fun, but then there's also a lot of nitty gritty stuff that comes up sometimes that you have to deal with, you know, as it comes, like vans breaking down, or like there was one tour we were going through uh, this long drive through Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, we lost, <laughs> our AC went out in the van in the middle of summer, and it oh. was unbearably hot. You know, we had to be somewhere eight hours away. So, you know, I feel like I've been through a lot of the uh, cliche negative tour stories. You know, but mm-hmm. very grateful for all of those experiences too. You know? <laughs> um, cool. Uh, I wanted to, yeah. Actually, I also wanted to know, seeing as you're like you're a multi instrumentalist, um, are you self taught? Kind of. Um, yeah, I, I would say this, you know, my first instrument was saxophone and then I moved to piano and I took proper lessons for piano. So I've always kind of like identified with synthesizers and keyboards, but that's been changing a lot more. Um, I took guitar lessons early on, but guitar I'm largely yeah, self-taught. Um, mm-hmm. It's same for recording. You know, I, I've really just taught myself how to do that over the years, you know, doing demos and things. And, um, had a lot of help with that, like learning how to do it better. 
my friend Aaron Bastinelli, who's the mixing engineer for pretty much everything I've done. Um, he's up in New York and, and he gives me all kinds of hints on how to not be horrible <laughs> at what I'm learning how to do. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a gradual learning process when you're teaching yourself. But um, I'm hoping to get more advice from people actively. I think that's a hard thing to do is ask for help. You know, like, how do I do this better? Right. Trying to do that more. It's very interesting too, though, that when you do do that, you'll find people are very, very happy to help. I've, yeah. I've found that in, in life in general, just like I, uh, I notice I, I have a lot of friends that kind of like fake it. They like just, they won't know shit about a certain thing, but they'll kind of like lie their way through a conversation. Whereas I've never done that. If I don't know something, I'm just like, tell me, please. Like, yeah. And then like, I, I don't know. I just love learning and people love telling people about stuff that they're passionate about or that they know how to do or that they know about. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and I think it is, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 I was, I was done. I was done. Yeah, I think that is one benefit of this coronavirus pause, you know, that we've all had is an opportunity to really sit and be with ourselves because getting to meditate on those insecure, because that's where that comes from, is just being a little insecure about something, like how little you know, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know it, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like I don't know very much, and that continues to prove itself to be true because yeah. like, there's a lot of friends I have who seem to know a lot, but then it just keeps going. Like they feel like they don't know very much. So, um, somewhere out there are people who do know what's going on. In the right. So. And then they probably don't even think that they know a lot. I mean, like someone like Joe Rogan, who seems to like know a lot, always says, I'm a fucking idiot. I don't know anything. I'm just good at reading and memorizing stuff. And I'm like, dude, if you, if you're an idiot, then I don't know what I am. Like, yeah. Um, it's that difference between information and knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, learning how to actually use the stuff in a, in a smart way, which, I mean, as a musician and being independent, there's, there's a really big difference between like doing work and getting done. Mm-hmm. And I've had to really think about that. Like, what's a really smart way to use my time and energy? Because for a long time, I would just say, oh, I need to go on tour. Like, that's mm-hmm. the answer to everything. Like, I'm on tour, I'm doing the right thing. And I've learned that's, especially now, you know, like, what are you going to do? if you can't tour you gotta be creative oh my god that's my job (laughs) right so it comes back to yeah um if you can root yourself and i guess i'm talking to myself right now but rooting myself and creativity is really showing me the best way forward i think and have spent my time definitely man i i can totally relate like definitely during covid doing this whole thing like uh i don't know before covid i would have maybe done an interview once a month sort of thing and i'm doing like two or three a week now i'm getting to meet like cool people all around the world it's 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 cool like it's uh this is like how i get my creativity out right it's just like talking to people and like mm. learning from them and uh, and stuff like that um yeah speaking of like self-taught like tell me about the like are you trained in like recording or anything like that do you have like a you said you're interested in sound design and, and all of that is that just that that's just been a, a like a passion of mine i I was one class away from minoring in music in college, but um, I mean that, I mean, that was just like proper theory stuff that was not super helpful to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of the stuff I've learned is just from trial and error. Like I'm still a really big fan of when I find a record that I really like, I'll literally sit and try to figure out how they made the sounds, like what yeah. the synthesizers I have. And that's super helpful. Just learning how to work backwards from things. Um, and I mean, for, recording music gets so tricky my, and my friend Aaron and 
also Justin Douglas, who's in Austin. He's an amazing producer too. They've taught me a lot about how to listen a little better. And, and Ty Robbins, I just need to name drop them really quick. Yeah, but, sure. um, learning to listen to music in a visual way is something I, I didn't know how to do before. But um, that's helped me a lot, just learning how to actually spatially orient my music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and once you know how to record, it changes how you write songs too, I think. Because if you don't know how to record a song or how everything fits into a, like a spectrum, then what I used to do is write over, like I'd write over certain instruments. So there'd be instruments that were clashing, doing certain things. And the more that I learn about recording, the better songs I feel like I'm writing because right. I need to put things in better places, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, what, I, I, do I see a degree behind you there on the wall? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you go to university for? I, I try not to talk about it because it's not sexy or cool at all, but, um, <laughs> I went to this university, Texas A&M, here in, in Texas, and uh, studied marketing. I have a business. Oh, okay. So I'm, it's a very sexy thing. Oh man, and that's gonna come helpful when you're like for your for your career, though, right? It it has. It's just one of those like unspeakable topics. I feel like yeah. music where everyone's trying to seem very cool, you know. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I know. I know a lot of people don't like talking about. I mean, let's face facts. It's so hard to just like make a living on just music. Mm. And I feel, I don't know. I know, I know a lot of like a lot of musicians that are like, well, like, you know, do pretty well for themselves, but like still all have day jobs and stuff. And like, I don't know. I know it's always like a, it's a subject that they hate talking about. They're just like, I don't want to talk about the fact that mm. I work for a call center or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, it's, 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 it is shitty that like, this is the world we live in now where it's just like, it's hard to like just live off of your passion. Yeah. And, and you're, you're actually touching on something that's become pretty important to me too. It's just, I, I used to really believe that it was impossibly hard to make a living on music. And I really don't believe that anymore. I, for, for me, it was kind of a defense mechanism to not really dedicate myself to doing it. Cause, okay. um, if, if I think it's impossibly hard, what's the point? you know, and, and like really going for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thankfully surrounded by people who just do music, like, like Slow Meadows, an example of this, or Tank, he tours the country. A lot of my friends are able to be full-time musicians. And I feel like you really do attract the right kind of people to show you the way forward when you're open to pushing yourself in that way. So if anyone's listening and they, they, they really believe that like, oh, my hobby, like, it's impossible to monetize my hobby. I, I would just encourage you to crack the door a little bit and say like, oh, well, what if it's not impossible? Like what, when you start thinking that way, you see opportunities differently. Like streaming is a perfect example of this. Um, I, I had never really streamed, you know, an actual performance until I sat with the coronavirus stuff and said like, okay, is, is this an impossible situation right now? Or like, what can I actively look and try to find make this, up, you know, a benefit and it's mm -hmm. it's been paying money too which has been awesome like selling okay. merch people have been super supportive so i've really been trying to change my attitude about money and art you know because man like i think just growing up in society i think people are conditioned to really think it's impossibly hard to make a living off of what you want to do mm -hmm. and i think that's a, a self um what do you call it it's a perpetual cycle it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if more people saw other people making a living off their art. I think they try a little, you know, not harder, but they really try, you know? Yeah, gotcha. I got, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying.
Um, like something I noticed when uh, when I was looking you up on Spotify is uh, I, let me actually just make sure this is real before I say it, and then it's not. But I'm pretty sure it is. A lot of your listeners are in based in Brazil. Yeah. Do you know why that is? <laughs> I, I do. Um, it's it's from Instagram ads. Like cer- certain, I mean, that's a whole thing. We're talking about marketing, right? But yeah. certain countries perform better than others as far as like who likes your music. And I don't know why Brazil <laughs> likes my music a lot more than other places, but um, it's really awesome waking up in the morning and getting like messages from people saying like, this is so good. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, yeah, it just makes me feel very grateful to be able to reach people like that. You know? Yeah, that's wicked, man. Brazil yeah. too, dude. Like they're, uh, I, I just feel like they're so passionate about music on like another level. If yeah. you see any of like those those giant like stadium concerts in Brazil, <laughs> they just look insane. You know what I mean? Like just like maybe it's just the fact that like not a lot of uh, artists make their way through, make 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 their way down there, and yeah. like so they're just so appreciative. But like. I really do think like music's just like I don't know it's like burnt into the culture there or something like that you know yeah and I've, I've heard that too about uh touring through Europe which I haven't done yet but um evidently the culture there is just a lot more supportive it's in mm-hmm. this is what I heard right so even Canada I've heard certain things like there was a band um from there called 36 that toured through Houston and we kind of became friends and I guess wherever they were from was subsidizing their tour like the government helping to fund them. And I've run into bands at South by Southwest that were there on behalf of like the tourism bureau. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's, it's kind of a unique situation being in the U S because a lot of the support is from, you know, private organizations. And right. Like even through this coronavirus stuff, I've been fortunate to get some grant funding from a few things. Um, just people pulling money together for artists. So it's been really helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's wicked. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah, I I, uh, I definitely think I, I know what what you mean about Europe. I, I, I've been to Europe a bunch of times. I'm like, my background's a little bit interesting. I grew up in South Africa. And then uh, my, my dad is Swiss. So I spend a lot of time in Switzerland. We also have a lot of family in Germany. So I've been in there. And I know, I think I know why that is the case that music that music just does so well there or that bands do do well or feel that connection there. And it's just because people don't stay inside in Europe and people don't watch TV and they just like go out and live life. It's just like a different way of life. And I think that's why there's like just such a support for, uh, for bands. Even if like no one knows you, like you're still going to probably have a sold out show yeah. just because people go out cause it's their, you know, it's their local venue that they go to every Friday. Like no matter what they will go there. Um, and I, I think that's something that's like, at least I, I've noticed is missing in, in Toronto and maybe it's a North American thing. Maybe it's just a Canadian thing. I don't know, but like, I don't know. I've seen like such like great bands come through here and then I go and there's like not a lot of people and people don't really like do anything. They just stand around. Like people get pissed off with you. If you like hit like bump shoulders with them at like a punk show. And it's like, what, what the hell's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that culture too is kind of why I brought up Mobile, Alabama, because it's such a small town that, People right. do go out to literally like one of two bars that are right. there. And there's always a lot of people on the weekends that they want to see shows and they're very grateful that 
bands take the time to stop through there because mm-hmm. a lot of these smaller towns in America get passed up so frequently. Even Houston gets passed up by a lot of bands because it's not Austin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the, the culture is really important in these places, but American culture from what I've seen is I mean, the South is very different from the North in many ways, and oh, yeah, every city is different and... culture. It's very different. Even parts of Texas, like Houston and Austin, are pretty different <laughs> places right. too. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. I think we're coming towards the end, man. Like last uh, last things, I just want to know, like, uh, what was the last memorable show you went to? I'm going to have to say the last show that I really played was um, opening for this band Surf Curse. At, yes. Oh, I love Surf Curse. Yeah. Yeah. I opened for them back in January. And that, that's what's so funny is 2020 started so, so good, man. Like we opened up for Surf Curse and it was almost a sold out show. It was just like packed, this huge venue and the sound was amazing. And uh, I feel like we did really good. And then the album was going to come out and go to South by Southwest, go on tour. And it felt like all this stuff's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, that show was just so fun, man. Like a ton of a ton of fans came out. It was just a really great experience. And that's what I've been holding on to is that feeling of like that. that's going to happen again at some point. Absolutely. Oh, and man, I think it's going to be so much more, too, because everyone's locked up right now, right? They're just going to, oh, yeah, it's going to happen for sure. <laughs> so I'm attached to that memory and it's, it's keeping me going like, okay, I can still play shows and play yeah. again. So yeah. Cool. Um, all right. And then, uh, so tell me, uh, what is the like newest band you've come across band or artist? Like so anything like new that you're like, holy shit, this is super cool. Oh, like what I'm listening to a lot right now. Yeah. Let me pull up my Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Seeing as you're doing that, tell me the last song you listened to on Spotify. I always throw that question in there. Sometimes it's embarrassing for people, so. I mean, it's a deep cut. Are you sure? Yeah, okay. let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce this. Uh, it, it's a song called Chandra, San, Chandrakowsk Alop by Nikhil Banjare, who is a sitar player. I was on Robbie Shankar Radio. Okay. It was recommended. So that was my last song that I played. My, cool. uh, what I've been listening to a lot, let me see here. Arthur Russell, I've been listening to a lot. Um, see, he, he was an artist from New York. Moondog is another one. It's a really old blind man from New York who wrote amazing music. Um, Big Thief, Adrian Linker, I'm a huge fan. Um, man. Yeah, a lot of more modern stuff lately. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Nick Drake, so I listen to a lot of him. Um, if you know him, but, um, yeah, I really love acoustic music and cool. sound design music. And I, I land somewhere in the middle of those two things. Like, I don't like to listen to music that sounds like my stuff. Like Tame Impala, I don't like to listen to because it's like candy, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'm going to, I'm just putting something in the chat, um, for you right now. I think you, I feel like you'd like this guy. Okay. Um, his name is Matt Holubowski. He's uh, a Montreal based musician. And you guys have a very similar approach to how you how you make your songs. I, I interviewed him through my uh, through my other company, and uh, oh man, he's just like such a nice dude too. So I'm I'm just always telling people to listen to him. He's just he's great, and he's like acoustic and yeah, super talented dude. Um, cool. All right, and uh, let's see. Oh, here's one more. Angelo D. Augustine. 
It's a huge one I've been listening to. Who's that? I'll share this with you. <laughs> awesome, dude. Uh, and then finally, is there anything, anything you want to say to fans, to the people? Yeah, I want to thank everyone that's been listening to the album. It's been pretty awesome so far, getting all the messages from everyone. And if you want to listen to it, yeah, you can please follow on Spotify, Birthday Club. Yeah, let's get your, uh, let's get your, uh, the ats and everything. Tell us uh, where we can find you. Yeah, so uh, the best way to listen right now to stream is on Spotify or Apple Music. And Birthday Club is the band, and Obscure Emotion is the album. And I've also got the album available on heavyweight 180 gram uh, Coke bottle vinyl is pretty awesome um looks really good and it sounds really good too so you can get that on birthdayclub.bandcamp.com and my instagram is bdayclubband yeah beautiful awesome steven man thanks so much i uh really appreciate you taking the time dude yeah, frankie thank you for having me and yeah this is a great little podcast so good luck thanks man thanks a lot dude and uh yeah let me know when you're thinking of coming through toronto and uh, i'll let you know when i'm uh, coming through texas that sounds great thank you again <laughs> Awesome, dude. Cheers. All right, have a good one.